If you have a company and you're trying to sell your stuff, do you not just want to put your best foot forward? I mean, that's all we're doing here. We're trying to give you every competitive advantage you could possibly think of to succeed. Hi, my name is Caitlin Pyatt. I'm a professionally certified marketer, and this is the Start Marketing Podcast, where small business owners can find authentic, accessible, and actionable marketing advice to help them grow and scale their businesses. I've worked in marketing for over 13 years, and it's an industry I genuinely love and a craft I believe can revolutionize and propel businesses to unimaginable growth. I'm the director of marketing at a startup, I run the Start Marketing community, and of course, I host this podcast. But I'm also a wife, a mom of three, and my house is generally always chaotic. I like learning about marketing, talking about it, and this is my favorite place to share my love of marketing. If you can't tell, I'm kind of a nerd about it. So I hope you're ready to soak it all in and start marketing. Hey, Start Marketing listeners. I am pumped for today's episode because it covers one of my favorite topics, branding. And you all know how much I enjoy a good brand conversation. Today's guest brings out the marketing nerd in me and makes me feel like I've had just a brush with celebrity. Her name is Megan Kent, and Megan is one of America's premier brand strategists with over three decades of experience coaching brands on how to find and maximize their inherent strengths. She's held leadership positions at some of the world's premier ad agencies and shaped brand strategy for some of the world's most important brands, Clinique, BMW, Coca-Cola, The New York Times, Microsoft, and Brand USA. Having witnessed both success as well as failures in the advertising industry, she began to reassess industry practices and seek out more predictable solutions. With the aim of understanding more deeply the consumer decision-making process, Megan spent over a decade immersed in the science of the mind. By combining her real-world experience with the latest findings in cognitive science, she developed a new branding model called Brain-Friendly Branding. She has identified seven easily deployable brain-friendly behaviors behaviors that brands can use to more powerfully connect with deep-seated human instincts and begin building neuropathways to yes for their brand. Today, Megan is founder and CEO of Megan Kent Branding Group. Megan, welcome. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's been a long time since I've done a podcast, actually. I've been so busy with the book launch and everything, and it's just so fun to to be talking to. I've admired your work for so long and um, I'm so happy to be here. Well, thank you. So yes, congratulations on your book. That all kind of came together this summer. So tell us a little bit about it. Okay. I'd love to. So my book is called How to Build an Irresistible Brand and it features my trademark seven stem branding system. Um, So what's that all about? Well, it's basically about learning how to create a brand that attracts customers effortlessly and keeps them for life by working in sync with our brains, get this 50,000 year old operating system. So I'm going to talk more about that in a minute, but you might be saying, how did you even get into this? Um, So this is, this is the thing I had just moved to New York. It was some 20 years ago and I was really kind of feeling my oats by I was really progressing well in my career in advertising and um, I went to kind of a network cocktail party and I met a woman who looked like she might have been like still in college or something and she said hi my name's Susan and um, what you know 
who are you? What, what do you do? And I said, okay, I'm Megan. I work in advertising, you know, on Madison Avenue. I probably didn't say that, but, but that's how I was feeling. And, um, she said, oh, advertising. That's so fascinating. Well, so then you know all about consumer psychology and anthropology and sociology and behavioral science. And I took a sip of my wine, <laughs> another one. <laughs> I could feel my face just getting redder and redder. And I thought, look at this young woman. And she thinks that the people inside those ad agencies are so much more expert in the psyche of the consumer than we actually are. I mean, sure, we would take stuff to focus groups um, and see if people liked it, but that was really all about what they think, not how they think. And right, Ren and, <clears throat> right then and there, I mean, aren't our clients paying us to be experts in the science of persuasion? And and it just, you know, it just like hit me flat in the face. This is really ridiculous that we're not more proficient at understanding how people think. So right then and there, I became a brain science junkie, as I call myself. I studied all the brain science I could get my hands on. I learned all about <clears throat> how the brain works, chooses, and decides. And there's one thing that the academic community has come to agree upon, which is the relatively new finding that actually 95% of human behavior is governed by our subconscious and primitive instincts. So in speaking with renowned neuroscientist Leonard Mladeno, I know it's a difficult last name, um, I learned that our brains have only changed 0.2% in the last 50,000 years, which means that 95% of our DNA is basically the same as our hunter-gatherer ancestors. I was watching a program the other night and um, somebody was referring to this this idea, this concept, and they said, we're actually just very sophisticated monkeys. So what does this mean for brands? Well, brands need to know how the brain's hardwired operating system is governed, and it's governed primarily by three things that are really all related back to survival. So the first one is pretty basic. Am I safe? Do I trust you? So ensuring our safety and survival are brain our brain's number one job. So we really try to steer clear of people, places, and brands that we don't feel good about, that we don't safer feel safe around, that we don't trust. The second one is, will this feel good? So in case you haven't noticed about yourself, I'm sure it's pretty obvious, but it's interesting. We seek pleasure over pain really at all times. We move to what feels really good and away from what doesn't. And this is, again, largely responsible for our survival. So, you know, if we interacted with a food or an animal or a tribe that seemed like it was going to induce pain, we generally learn to stay away from that situation. Um if a person, place, or thing caused you pain the last time, your subconscious brain is going to remember and prevent you from returning. 
And we all know the power of a really good slice of pizza. (laughs) Pleasure sometimes feels a little bit too good. Um, And the third one is don't make me think. So academics refer to us as cognitive minors. Deep thinking burns a lot of glucose, which interestingly, we need to preserve in case of emergencies. So we're actually conditioned to conserve energy that might be required in order to survive. So we try to avoid deep thought at all times. Um, God, how many times do you, you know, you have to do a report or a presentation at work or something, and you would just, just as soon do anything rather than delve into that, that deep thinking mode. It's, I know from writing a book, like, extremely painful. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to get into that. So, but brands that are effortless to interact with are the ones that we go back to again and again. So there's a reason Apple and Amazon are such possible, such popular brands. I mean, if you think about it, these are brands that require almost no conscious effort on our part. It's just one click and we're getting our stuff. Um, Apple, you have to do is plug it in. I mean, it's crazy. So over my past 10 years of study, I've identified and trademarked the seven brain-friendly branding drivers that are designed to feed these three instinctive pathways what they need to prefer your brand. So I developed this system by studying how the leading brands of the day had grown exponentially by word of mouth, not by advertising. So certain brands were coming up in the world and we at the ad agencies were thinking, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen a Super Bowl commercial for these brands. I haven't even seen an ad campaign. And yet they were growing exponentially. I mean, it kind of started with the likes of, of Starbucks and Nordstrom. But today we see brands like Warby Parker, Spanx, Tesla, Sweetgreen, Peloton, Trader Joe's. They're not growing through advertising. They're growing because they make people feel great when they interact with them. And then the first thing they do is go tell somebody about their interaction. Um, So then I cross-checked the learning from studying those brands with the findings from my scientific research and filtered all of this through my own 30 years of professional experience. All of this is covered in more detail in my book. But that's basically what we're what we're talking about in the book. That is so it's so fascinating it kind of hearing you talk about and as you're you're talking about these basic instincts, I can as somebody who spends a lot of time obviously thinking about branding and marketing, I can immediately like see how like the connection between these like primal instincts you're talking about and what makes a great brand. And I think it's so fascinating because sometimes I find it's difficult and I've come across this in big corporations. I've come across it with small solo entrepreneurs or small businesses. They sort of brush off branding and they're like, well, that's, it's not for me. Like I am not, I am not Clinique. I am not BMW or Coke. So I don't need that. But when you talk about those primal instincts, I always try to explain and so now I'm I am like genuinely excited not that I wasn't before but I am even more <laughs> excited to to kind of read your book because 
people respond better to facts sometimes. And right. when you can, right. I, I see the link between like sort of this factual scientific research and the branding side, which can sort of sometimes feel ambiguous. And so that connection, I think it just makes it all the easier to kind of explain and help people understand like why branding is so important, which, so let's hit on that. Why is branding for any size business and not just for retail or large corporations? Okay. I love this question. Um, so what is branding anyway, right? I mean, we're in the business and a lot of times I go to a conference and I'll be sitting at a table with a bunch of other entrepreneurs and, and, um, or a networking event. And half the time I'll say, yeah, I do branding. And half the people literally come like rushing over to me and saying, I need that. I need that. Oh my God, this is, you know, this is so great. I so desperately need branding. And then the other half of the people say, how is that a job? I mean, why does any one no? What even is branding anyway? I mean, I mean, literally so many people look at me and go, branding is a job and you can make money out of that. And what even is branding? So I'm just going to talk about it like this. So a product is something that manufacturers make. A brand is something that consumers want to buy. A brand is the sum total of the feelings that are created Every time someone interacts with you, and here's the important part, the stored memory of those feelings will determine whether or not your customers return. And whether intentional or not, you're branding your business right now in the way that you're showing up. So what's your style of dress? Are you a black suit and heels kind of business? Are you a jean jacket and red lipstick and tennis shoes kind of person? Whatever it is, you're saying something powerful about your brand from the very first impression. And first impressions are incredibly long lasting, which we're going to talk very interestingly about later. Then your website, your operations, your systems, your packaging, the, the suppliers you choose and their ethics, your company policies. How easy is it to make returns with your company? Do you treat everybody fairly? What do the employees act like when you interact with them? A brand is a feeling, okay? Do you want it to be good or bad? And, you know, a lot of people think of, of branding as a font, a logo, a color palette. Yes, okay, that's part of branding. It's your brand identity, but it's just the beginning. So first of all, it's about what you stand for. So Patagonia's founder, Yvonne Chouinard, has made the world know that Patagonia is in business to save the planet. So having a strong personal mission is an important of your brand foundation, no matter if you're a one-person shop or a Fortune 100 company. But branding is also Tiffany's Robin, Robin's Egg Blue Box. The Corona Lime Squeeze is also branding. But branding is also your bank's frustratingly poor customer service, despite, hey, you're a prized gold member, but let's treat you like you don't exist. The rude way the owner's son 
at the dry cleaner always greets you. Well, I mean me in this case. And in that case, I ended up like I'd been going to them for two, 10 years. I couldn't take it anymore. So I switched. An employee always, this is another, this is another true story. There's a wellness center that opened up on a street near my house. Within the first week, one of their main employees can be seen smoking out front of the wellness center every day. So in essence, the sum total of all a brand's interactions creates a feeling inside your customer's mind, which will remain in their subconscious memory and is going to determine whether or not they return. And remember the principle of pleasure seeking over pain. We move to what feels good and away from what doesn't. We decide emotionally and then validate our decisions with reasons is something we've kind of all intuitively felt, but now science has proven that this is actually true. So as a brand builder, you really need to ask yourself, what type of memories are we creating? How do we make people feel? Mm. <clears throat> I think that's fantastic. When, you know, you, there's kind of a treasure trove of examples in there. And I always I say it all the time on this podcast. I say it all the time to the people that I work with. Like your brand becomes the guide by which you make every decision. It does not, it is not just the marketing decisions. It's not just how does this piece look? It is not, you know, just how has my website. It's not the logo and the fonts. It really should impact every aspect of your business because that's what creates that cohesion that subconsciously every, you know, your customers are going to connect with and go, oh, this makes me feel really at ease. It makes me feel really good. Every, every step of this process just kind of radiates and they, and they may not be able to put their finger on it. You know, it'll kind of be like, it has this like je ne sais quoi about it from a consumer perspective, but it's so intentional from the ask, like from the brand side of things, from the company side of things. And that's something that as a solopreneur, a small business, a large corporation, like anyone is capable of doing it as long as you are kind of keeping it in the forefront and you're doing it very intentionally and you're going into that process very intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 thing is, Caitlin, is this is very, very hard to do. And mm-hmm. this is why I stopped working with big companies and I prefer to work with entrepreneurs or, or CEOs of, of small companies because we're talking about, like, as you're saying, the brand is the filter. So we're talking about every aspect of the organization getting in sync. And what's you know, we're talking about the the processes, the policies, the employee training, the employee recruiting, mm-hmm. and the product a lot of times is the problem. Hey, if the product doesn't work or the packaging is so hard you can't even get it out of the bag, then I'm not going to buy it next time. And sometimes I would, you know, make these observations. Hey, our problem isn't the advertising it's that the product doesn't work or the employees are hostile. And then people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's just get back to the ads because that's not my job. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So the beautiful thing about being, you know, the CEO of your own company is that you actually can impact all these aspects of the customer experience. 
Absolutely. And when it comes to branding, everybody, I don't want to say everybody, any brand expert, anybody that you talk to about brand, if you kind of decide like you're going to partner with someone, they all have their own approach to do it. And there's not necessarily a right way or a wrong way. Um, But, you know, as we've kind of talked about in the beginning, you have this this brain-friendly branding approach. And so tell us kind of high level, like, what are the steps that you go through and how, what kind of is different about the brain friendly approach versus, you know, something that you might find at yeah, anywhere yeah, else? Yeah. Well, honestly, um, I'll address that in a couple of ways. The first thing is, is what's different about this is you see, I was in advertising for so many years and I really felt like um, the advertising was kind of superfluous. So what's really different about my approach that makes it um, not the norm for marketing departments in, in corporate America is that it doesn't have to do with marketing. It has to do about your brand, your foundation, and honestly, every aspect of your contact with customers. So so here are the the seven brain-friendly branding principles that I feel that in order to become irresistible, which means basically you bypass reason, you just become a brand that people crave. So here, here are the seven pillars. They tap their authenticity. They tell their stories. They satisfy consistently. They speak visually, create community, engage the senses, and show novelty. Now, all of these are designed to fill kind of those three governing operating principles that I spoke about early. So really what we're, tr- we're trying to do is create these pathways to, to yes, really by almost effortlessly connecting with customers in the ways that we know that their, their, their brain wants in order to feel good. It's kind of, I mean, you know, somebody said it's a little bit subliminal, but not. So somebody said, isn't this unethical? And I'm not talking about putting, you know, sex on Coca-Cola commercials. I mean, you know, there've been these studies done in the sixties and it was subliminal persuasion and people say, Oh, this is, you know, evil. But if you have a company and you're trying to sell your stuff, do you not just want to put your best foot forward? I mean, that's all we're doing here. We're trying to give you every competitive advantage you could possibly think of to succeed. So, um, okay. So tap your authenticity. So this is, you know, kind of a, a basic one, but, but it does have fundamentals based on brain science. So in order to satisfy our customer's desire for trust, we actually have these sensory receptors deep down in the oldest part of our brain called the amygdala. And it basically develops a sense for something that feels untrustworthy, whether based on experience or, or, or a feeling. So building a brand from the start that is authentic, purposeful, and true is a good idea because we're actually always on the lookout for hidden dangers and brands that seem 
un- untrustworthy, but actually f- feel genuine will will be instinctively preferred. So, so the number one is really finding out your purpose. And then I always do something beforehand, which is finding out your point of view, which Simon Sinek would call your why. Um, why did you start this this in the biz it, it, to begin with? Because maybe you saw something in the marketplace that you know you could do better. Okay, so the second one is tell your story. So this one is, you know, everybody talks about it, but to be honest, nobody does it. So from our days as hunter-gatherers, when we sat around the fire listening to our elders, our minds have instinctively responded to stories. Stories humanize brands. They add to their sense of authenticity, credibility. So the important thing is to think about where can these stories go? Your website can go on packaging. The next one is speak visually. So of all the ways we take in data from the outside world, our sense of sight is the most immediate. In fact, over half of our brain's resources are dedicated to sight. So this means that every part of a brand's visual presence has an extremely powerful impact on its customer because, again, this is the first way we experience the world, whether intentional or not. I remember walking around um, a store, uh, walking around the streets of New York City, and, you know, on one hand, I saw this pile-high tech shop and, you know, just kind of goods everywhere and no organization, a lot of signs saying discount and everything. And you instantly get the vibe. This is going to be a place where they're going to have no customer service. Maybe I'll find a good deal uh, on some weird piece of tech that I need. Um, and it's probably going to be maybe cheap. I don't know. But you instantly get the sense that the, uh, 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 what kind of place this is going to be. And then I was in Soho and I walked by this store called T2. And everything were, were these just shocking, bright, gorgeous colors and the displays and the tea names and the and the tea wares that they were selling everything was so impactful and overwhelmingly um impressive that you just instantly had a sense okay this this is going to be <laughs> this is going to be expensive and probably they're going to have a new take on, you know, how I should be enjoying my tea. And of course, it was all just from looking at them. The fourth one, be consistently satisfying. We're basically, as humans, certainty-seeking creatures. So people strive to steer clear of situations with potentially unpleasant outcomes. We're, we're not willingly going to put ourselves in a situation where we don't have a good feeling about how it's going to come out. So the brands with the most predictably and consistently satisfying customer experiences are the ones that people gravitate towards and stay with. So again, think about Amazon. It's the same every time. Starbucks, same every time. Nordstrom, same every time. Apple, same every time. So the fifth one is positively engaging the senses. So while sight is our primary sense, it's only one of the five modes of perception. So our remaining four senses are also always on. Our senses, which are located in the oldest, most primal part of our brain, they actually bypass reason and instantly connect with our feelings. Brands that incorporate pleasurable scents, sounds, textures, and tastes into the customer experience can create lasting memories and powerful emotional connections. Starbucks, interestingly, 
has a no perfume policy because they don't want their employees fragrances getting in the way of the wonderful aroma of coffee. And if you think about it, Venmo, how great is it when we hear that little sound go off on our phone when somebody's just paid you on Venmo and it's just reinforcing again, their brand values. So the sixth one is show novelty. This also comes from an old biological reason. So novelty attracts our attention. Why? Because we're always on alert for potential threats or rewards. So if we hadn't been aware of that saber-toothed tiger chasing us, we would end up being its lunch. And if we hadn't seen or noticed those little green, let's just say red berries in the brush, we might have missed finding our own lunch. So brands that show novelty in appropriate doses excite our natural desire for exploration and discovery. But you have to be wary of being too new because too new is dangerous and won't feel familiar at the same time. But brands that introduce updated offerings in a familiar and reassuring way can keep customers engaged for life. So this is really the way you build longevity into your customer kind of retention life cycle. And the last one is creating community. So I love this one because I hadn't really thought about this before, but our actual survival as a species has always been dependent upon acceptance by our tribe. So alone against the elements, if you think about it, we would never have survived the past past several million years of our evolution. We needed to be accepted by our tribes so that we could fight the warring tribes, so that we could all divide and con- conquer, you know, on who had which job um, around the campfire. I mean, it was I've seen documentaries on this and and it's just it's brilliant you know somebody has to scrape the meat out of the animal that was just killed somebody has to go find the berries somebody has to go fight the warriors somebody has to know how to start a fire somebody has to know how to make that rock into a into a knife and so they (laughs) even back then they had a you know divide and conquer teamwork approach so it's in our it's in our nature to want to form lasting and meaningful connections with like-minded others. And brands that excel at creating a sense of community community satisfy this instinctive need for belonging, comfort, and certainty that is way deep in our DNA. So one of my favorite ways to do this, I'll just give one example. There are many more in my book, but is to have a to have a code of conduct, which is essentially, you know, a belief system the kind of, I call it the way we do things around here. And by doing that, you kind of have, okay, these kind of people are in and those kind of people are out. So I love, you know, just this idea of a code of conduct. There are so many other ways to create a sense of community that are covered in my book, but this is a super quick overview of my seven drivers. And, you know, I want to simply say that these seven drivers aren't new. In fact, they're pre they're prehistoric for that matter. The reason that you're identifying with these is that 
they're so basic. They're so obvious. And that's what people see and feel when they're reading these basic principles. The reason it makes so much sense is because we feel it innately. We feel it deep inside it, deep inside us that all of this makes perfect sense. So they aren't new. They're just, they're just hard to do and they're not always done. Frankly, they're not hard to do if you can get your organization rallied around these principles. But they are essential if you want to attract customers effortlessly and keep them for life. They're the foundation that you need to lay in order to dramatically grow your business through word of mouth marketing. <laughs> there, was, there was like 15 <laughs> thoughts that popped into my head at once. None of them could come out. And that's, per that's exactly what I want when I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> so it, ha it happens. But you know, kind of listening to all of these things that, you know, and you, you summarized yeah. it perfectly there at the end, you know, right. like these yeah. things are simultaneously like hard to do, but also not hard to do because they're so like basically instinctual to us. Right. Like, you know, as I think about, and I'm going through, you know, you've got a million great examples and I want to reiterate for listeners, like the examples, yeah, those are huge companies. Yeah. However, yeah. When you think about the things that they're doing well, and when you think about the seven, like the brain friendly principles, they're doing them well and they're able to be a large scale because they're hitting all of those notes. They're doing all of those things. And so again, going back and thinking about, okay, what can I do that is really actionable today? Yeah. I feel like, you know, if you take those things and you you pick one and you say, you know what, I'm going to move through these very intentionally. I'm going to yeah. take these seven principles and I'm going to think about how can I incorporate them into my business, into the brand that I am trying to build. You know, I think that right there, yeah. starting with intentionality is, is probably when you strip it down, that's the basic premise of this, right? I have to be intentional about building this brand or I'm not, I'm not really going to build it. That first impression is very powerful. So give a lot of thought to the first impression you're making with your customers, whether through your dress, your website, your unboxing experience, how well the product looks, feels, and works. And unless you give yourself an A plus across the board, spend time thinking of ways to up level that overall first impression. Thank you so much for your time and expertise today. We have covered we have covered a lot of ground. That is this is kind of a great framework to help people understand that there is something very primal and there is something quantifiable about your brand. So Megan, where can listeners connect with you if they're interested in learning more? Well, listen, I have a LinkedIn profile. I also have a, uh, to be honest with you, I also have a masterclass that basically is the visual um, expression of my book. If somebody wants to reach out to me with a question, I'm at Megan at MeganKent.com. And my email is MeganKentBrandingGroup.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Congratulations again on your new book. And listeners, you know branding is one of my favorite topics. You've got some great actionable advice to start marketing today. So I hope you have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. 
And don't forget, the Start Marketing community is open and available for you to join. So if you want more actionable and accessible advice, whether it's about branding or marketing, go to getauthenticbranding.com slash startmarketing and click the button to join our community. Until next time.